podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Thursday, March 3rd, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online and access things you're geo-blocked from. If you are a UK expat living abroad, wanting to access BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, all four, a Liberty Shield VPN will get you where you want to be and... Keep your data safe from the miscreants. Check out libertyshield.com and use the code ROUTER50 to get your router half price. That's libertyshield.com, ROUTER50 at checkout, and get that router 50% off. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy for all your football merchandise needs. EPL Index and Anfield Index on Etsy. EPL 10 and Red 10 are the codes to use to get yourself 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, we had three games in the FA Cup last night. We'll start, first and foremost, with... Southampton 3, West Ham United 1. Romain Perot put West uh, put Southampton rather 1 up on 31 minutes with an absolute belter from about 25 yards out. Just arrowed it into the top corner. Exceptionally well struck goal. Gave Ariola no chance. Mikel Antonio equalised on 60. Willie Caballero deputising in the Southampton goal, making a mess of a very simple corner. A poor corner from Bowen. Caballero makes a mess of it, drops it at the feet of Issa Diop. Diop taps it across, and Antonio taps home. It's 1-1. Nine minutes later, it's a penalty to Southampton. Armando Brohier brought down in the box by Craig Dawson. Not given initially, given after VAO review. And James Ward-Prowse steps up and scores. You never felt like he was missing. As soon as the penalty was given, you had confidence that James Ward-Prowse would score. And in the 95th minute, Brohe himself making it three, picks the ball up after a weak defensive header by Craig Dawson over in the right back slot, cuts into the box, Zuma backs off, backs off a bit more, Diop doesn't cover a cross, nobody puts a challenge in, and he finishes very, very easily. Southampton were the better team, Southampton deserved to win the game. I think we saw last night some issues in that West Ham squad where there just isn't enough quality depth. There's no depth at left back. They're having to play Rice and Suchek in basically every game. And it is starting to wear them down. And I saw after the game a lot of criticism from West Ham fans towards Thomas Suchek and his dip in form. And his dip in form has come in line 
with West Ham's dip in form. And a big part of it is he's not getting any sort of rest. Alex Kral is a quality player and he's sitting on the bench, not even getting a look in. Alex Kral came to West Ham on loan this season with a very, very good reputation as a 23-year-old box-to-box engine in midfield who can be that sitter if you need him to be. He'd been a regular for Spartak Moscow. West Ham get him in. You expect that. They'll bring him in. He'll be the third midfielder in rotation with Rice and Suchek, can play either of their roles, and then they'll buy him. Instead, he's played six games. He's played six games, one in the Premier League, one in the FA Cup, one in the League Cup, and three in Europe. And it's not like he's been getting starts. He's played a sum total of 536 minutes in all competitions. That includes, by the way, that includes his time in Russia. With West Ham, he's played 120 minutes in the Europa League, 38 minutes, sorry, 90 minutes in the EFL Cup, and 45 minutes in the FA Cup. His one Premier League appearance, he came on the whistle blew 30 seconds later. So all told for West Ham this year, he's played in and around the 260-minute mark. He's played more minutes this season for Spartak Moscow than he has for West Ham. He joined West Ham in August. And he's played more minutes for Spartak Moscow. That is poor management by David Moyes. That's a quality player now going to slip through the net. And West Ham's midfield look exhausted. Rice and Suchek look absolutely exhausted. The lack of cover for Antonio we know about. The lack of cover at left back. The lack of a quality starter at left back we know about. But that issue in midfield is something that really needs to be addressed. Saints through to the next round. They'll be delighted. Their good run of form continues. And this, in conjunction with what we've seen from them in the Premier League of late, is a really positive sign for Ralph Hasenhutl and his team. Moving on then to Liverpool 2, Norwich City 1. Two goals from Taki Minamino in the 27th and 39th minute set Liverpool on their way to victory. A good goal from Lucas Rupp on 76 gave Norwich a bit of a chance. It took a very, very good save from Alison Becker to stop John Lowe scoring an equaliser, but Liverpool deserved to go through. They were the better team throughout. They dominated, especially in the first half, and the 2-1 victory was a fair reflection of what was a good game of football. I've done more on it on the Daily Red on Anfield Index, so as always, if you want to hear more about that, go and listen there. We'll move on to Luton 2, Chelsea 3 at Kenilworth Road. Luton really did start this game brilliantly, and Reese Burke put them 1-0 up on two minutes with a brilliant header from a corner. Great flicked header, aimed at the back post, perfectly executed, and the perfect start for the home side. Saul made it 1-1 on 27 minutes. Excellent right-footed finish after the ball broke to him on the edge of the box. But Harry Cornick made it 2-1 Luton just before the break. Milang Sarr deciding to do a great impression of Harry Maguire, standing five yards behind the rest of the uh, Chelsea defence, playing Cornick on side. Cornick ran through. Good finish 
gave Kepa no chance. Interesting setup from Chelsea playing a back three with Ruben Loftus cheek almost acting as a sweeper in the middle of it. It was quite interesting to see. Defensively, it didn't really work, but it did add something different to them when they were on the ball. And I thought it was quite interesting. He played some really good passes, including the pass for Timo Werner to equalize on 68 minutes. Werner broke in behind. Good first touch, good finish. I felt a little bit bad for him in that none of his teammates went to celebrate because they were focused on getting the ball back, getting the kickoff and going and scoring a winner. And Werner looked a little bit put out by that. But credit to him, 10 minutes later, it's his run in the inside right channel, his squared ball, and Romelu Lukaku taps home to make it 3-2 to Chelsea. A very, very hard-fought victory for Chelsea. With a little bit of luck as well, because Luton suffered a big injury, Jed Steer, their goalkeeper, getting hurt and having to go off. Now, I will say, I thought Harry Isted, who came on, performed really, really well. I thought that was an excellent performance in the circumstances having to come off the bench. Cold in that type of game. Very, very impressive from him. Very impressive from Luton overall. They really did give Chelsea a hell of a go. They didn't take one step backwards. They kept pushing, kept trying to play their football, kept trying to get a result. And unfortunately for them, on the day, it just wasn't to be but they can be really proud of that performance. And they should be really proud of that performance because they're they're a good championship side. There's no doubt about it. But Chelsea are one of the top sides in Europe. And regardless of anything else, Chelsea's budget, Chelsea's calibre of players, I mean, you could argue that any one of Chelsea's starters are probably earning more than the entire Luton team combined. Chelsea have paid more for half of that team, if not more, than Luton have paid for their entire squad of players. So for Luton to go into that game in that circumstance and put up the performance they did, I I think it's very, very impressive. I don't know much about that uh, Istad kid, but he played really well last night. He's been on loan at Wheelstone a couple of times. Isn't that where that that you want some? I'll, I'll give you some if you want it. Isn't that where that lunatic is from? Isn't that him? That's where he's been on loan three different times uh, from Luton. Also had loans with Chesham United and Oxford City. Not even Oxford United, Oxford City. So he's had three loans with semi-professional teams, which I would guess means that's the first professional game he's ever played. Am I wrong with that? But he made some big, big saves and did himself proud. The whole team did themselves proud. Credit to them. I did like that tactical wrinkle from Tuchel, I have to say, of Loftus-Cheek in the middle of the back three. Like I said, defensively, it it has a lot of work to to do, but it wasn't like he was helped. Rudiger had a poor game. Malang Sar, you can tell he hasn't played a whole bunch because his positioning, positioning, his anticipation just wasn't there. Uh, Kennedy playing left wing back. I genuinely forgot that Chelsea still owned him. You had Saul, who was excellent, probably the best player on the pitch, and Jorginho in the midfield. Callum Hudson-Odoi playing out of position as a right wing back. He's obviously played there before, 
but it is a foreign position to him. <clears throat> you had Werner, Lukaku and Mount as a front three and Mount was dropping in behind. And I did like what I saw from Werner and Lukaku as a duo. I thought Werner's willingness to run the channels and try and make things happen worked really well. When Pulisic came on, I thought it went up another level. Reese James and Harvey Vale also getting uh, game time. Harvey Vale looks another super talent. This academy of Chelsea's really does churn out exceptional talent. You know, you look at Loftus-Cheek. I know he's had the injuries. He hasn't lived up to, pretend, to the potential, but he's a tremendous player. And he'd be great for, you know, half the league. Um, Callum Hudson-Odoi is a super talented. Again, injuries have slowed him. But there's no questioning the talent that's there. Mason Mount, we know, he's an England regular. He's one of the better attacking midfielders in the league. I don't think Tuchel does him full value playing him as high as he does. I think he'd be a, a bit better, just that little bit deeper. More as an attacking age, or even as a 10 behind two strikers on a regular basis. And then on the bench, you have James, you have Dylan Williams, who's very highly regarded, Lewis Hall's another highly regarded one, and Harvey Vale, who some people say is the best prospect they've ever produced. And if that's true, he is going to be a hell of a player. When you start looking around the league at the other players that have come through that academy, it's, it's phenomenal. It really is phenomenal. Now, how much longer Chelsea are able to produce these players will of course depend on what happens with the new ownership and whether or not they are going to be willing to keep funding the academy at the same cost because it costs a lot to run that scope of an academy to have all those satellite academies dotted around London that's a very expensive endeavour now it does pay off for them so you can argue that it is absolutely worthwhile. They have such a big catchment area. They bring in such a large pool of talent and they cherry pick the very best ones. And when you look at the results, you can't argue with it. But will a new owner be willing to bankroll it to the same way that Roman has? And Roman, after much speculation, has confirmed that he is selling the club. So yesterday, after... Hours of speculation at about five past six. A statement from Roman Abramovich went up on ChelseaFC.com and it read as follows. I would like to address the speculation in media over the past few days in relationship in relation to my ownership of Chelsea FC. As I have stated before, I have always taken decisions with the club's best interest at heart. In the current situation, I have therefore taken the decision to sell the club as I believe this is in the best interest of the club, the fans, the employees, as well as the club's sponsors and partners. The sale of the club will not be fast-tracked, but will follow due process. I will not be asking for any loans to be repaid. Now, just keep that in mind for one second. This has never been about business nor money for me, but about pure passion for the game and the club. Moreover, I have instructed my team to set up a charitable foundation where all net proceeds from the sale will be donated. Again, keep all of that in mind. The foundation will be for the benefit of victims of the war in Ukraine, of all victims of the war in Ukraine. This includes providing critical funds towards the urgent and immediate needs of victims, as well as supporting the long-term work of recovery. Please know that this has been an incredibly difficult decision to make, 
and it pains me to part with the club in this manner. However, I do believe it is in the best interest of the club. I hope I will be able to visit Stamford Bridge one last time to say goodbye to you all in person. It has been a privilege of a lifetime to be part of Chelsea FC and I am proud of all our joint achievements. Chelsea Football Club and its supporters will always be in my heart. Thank you, Roman. Now, there's a couple of ways to look at this. Number one, you can look at it on face value. You can can say, that's a, a really good statement and he's forgiving all the loans and he's donating all the net proceeds to uh, charity, to victims of the war in Ukraine. Or you can take a more cynical view, and that's where I fall, is a more cynical view of this. So, number one, let's start in reverse order. The foundation will be for the, the benefit of all victims of the war in Ukraine. That's a very open statement. It's a very unspecific statement. Will it be for all the Russian victims of the war in the Ukraine? Will it be for the separatists separatists in the Donbass region? Or will it genuinely be for all the victims? I have instructed my team to set up a charitable foundation. Okay, let's wait and see when that happens. But let's also focus in on a couple of things to do with that. Number one, Roman donating money from this sale to a charitable foundation enables him to avoid paying capital gains tax. And charitable foundations are often set up for the benefit of the person who sets them up. Just as one example, there's an American football coach called Hugh Jackson who set up a foundation which raised about $150,000, $160,000 last year, or two years ago. This was the last financial records. Of that $150,000, $160,000, was paid to an employee of the foundation. About 4000 of the overall money brought in was given out in grants. So... Let's not kid ourselves that this might not be a way for Roman to avoid tax and wash that money back to himself or back to somebody he may appoint to lead said foundation, such as Marina, who you would imagine will soon be out of work because she is Roman's right-hand man and she is essential to how he operates She is his employee more so than Chelsea's employee. So who knows? All net proceeds is a very interesting term as well. So that's obviously money after expenses. But he will also look at what the paid price, 140 million, the loans he gave the club. Because you have to understand here, I will not be asking for any loans to be repaid. That doesn't mean he's forgiven the loans. It means he's building them into the purchase price. He's converted them to equity already, and he's building them into the purchase price. He is asking for £4 billion for an asset valued by Forbes and others at about £2.5 billion. Now, I'm no mathematician, but the difference between 4.5, sorry, between 2.5 and 4 is 1.5, which is the amount of soft loans 
he'd given to the club. So when he says this has never been about business nor money to me, my initial reaction is that's fine. And if you're forgiving the loans and it's not about money, sell the club for 140 million then. Sell the club for what you bought it for. Sell it for 200 million if you want to account for some inflation or some interest. But when you're asking for 4 billion for an asset you have put 1.64 billion into, it is about money. It very much is about money. And we'll wait and see how this charitable foundation works out, what sort of funds actually go to it, how much money you actually donate to the victims of the war and what victims of this war. That, by the way, he is yet to speak against. And while he runs around pretending he's no connection to Vladimir Putin, well, history shows us that he does. History shows us that he was one of the main backers of Putin in the early days, before Putin's rise to power. He was one of the people pushing him forward. History also shows us that under the reign of Putin, he has been put into multiple important positions. And I'm sure if there was financial transparency in Russia, we would see that he has probably made large financial donations to the political campaigns of Vladimir Putin and others around him. There's that many pictures with him, you could start an art gallery. So I'm not buying the idea that he doesn't have any connection to him. He is a major shareholder in a company that make the tanks which are currently rolling through the Ukraine. So, you know, <clears throat> at, in times of war, who makes money? Arms dealers? Weapons dealers? Weapons manufacturers, I should say. He manufactures tanks. He is making money off the war in Ukraine, unless he is donating those tanks for free, in which case... Well, he can't really claim to be neutral then, can he? Um, yeah, all very interesting. We will wait and see who buys Chelsea, the people being linked. Obviously, the Swiss gentleman who was part of the story that broke, that he had been contacted and offered the club, Todd Bowley, the American. Uh, their combined net wealth is about half of Romans. Neither of them would have the cash to go and buy the club outright. Bowley's net worth is about five million, five billion. Uh, much of that is tied up in his part ownership of the LA Lakers and the LA Dodgers. So if he were involved and a couple of other Americans who've been mentioned that don't have even his level of wealth, you would have to imagine that what we may see is a Manchester United type of buyout which is a leveraged buyout where the club is basically remortgaged and the cost of the purchase is placed on the club's accounts. Now, at that level of finance, that's unlikely to be the whole amount. But you could certainly see them leveraging about a billion to plonk it on top of Chelsea and lumber them with extensive debt for eternity. Uh, I would suggest to all Chelsea fans who continually claim Roman is a great man to just take off the blue tinted glasses 
to, to take a step back, you're not any less of a Chelsea fan if you're honest about what's happened. You're not any less of a Chelsea fan if, if you're honest about who Roman Abramovich is, about how he got his money, about how he's kept his money, about, about how he stayed out of Putin's bad books and about what he's doing now. You're not any less of a Chelsea fan. For those of you saying, well, we won things before him and we'll win things after him, you got relegated more often than you won the top flight. You won one league title, a few FA Cups, a few League Cups, two Cup Winners Cups and a Super Cup. That's what you won without him in 98 years. In the 19 with him, you won five League titles, five FA Cups, three League Cups, two Champions Leagues and two Europa Leagues. You also became European Super Cup winners and World Club Cup winners. In 19 years, you won significantly more, significantly more than you won in the 98 before him. So the idea that Roman disappears, you go back to how you were, but you continue to win, it doesn't exist. And remember, remember, Chelsea, for the longest time, won absolutely nothing. It wasn't like a thing that Chelsea were winning consistently decade after decade. Of the trophies they won pre-Roman, they won a league title in the 50s. They won a League Cup, an FA Cup in the 60s slash 70. And then they won and they won a Cup Winners Cup in 71. Then they won nothing from 71 to 97. Okay? Between 97 and when Ken Bates sold the club to Roman, which is about six years, in that time they won two FA Cups, a League Cup, and a Cup Winners Cup, as well as the European Super Cup. So the majority of their pre-Roman success came in that six-year period. By the end of that six-year period, when Ken Bates sold the club to Roman Abramovich, Chelsea were on the brink of going out of business because they had been overspending to such an extent that nobody, nobody would back them financially. Banks were calling in the loans that Ken Bates had taken out against the club. Ken Bates got 140 million for the club, but only walked away with 20 million because the other 120 million went to clear the debt that he had lumbered onto that club. Now, 120 million in debt might not sound like a lot now. Back then it was. Back then it was a significant amount of debt and Chelsea had no way to repay that. They'd overspent, they'd overreached and they got themselves in a massive hole. And they were going out of business. You can go and look that up yourself. They were going out of business before Roman came, came in. So that's what they had to deal with. They had a period of success in the 60s into the early 70s. It ended in 71. They'd won the league title in 55. The EFL Cup was 10 years later. The FA Cup was five years after that. And then off the back of that FA Cup, they won the Super Cup. So that's a 16-year spell where they won four trophies. Then they had a six-year spell where they won five trophies. 
and nearly bankrupt themselves. And that six-year spell came 26 years after the previous spell where they'd won four in 16. What they've done in the last 19 years is unnatural for a club like Chelsea. That's not who they are. That's what they've become, but it's not what they, who they are. Their history shows that the last 19 years are an aberration. Now, we can't predict the future, and Chelsea still have a great team, and they'll still have that academy as long as they don't do anything silly with it. So even owners who come in and aren't willing to back the club financially in the same way that Roman has done, will still have that incredible academy. And maybe, just maybe, there's a different route to take. Maybe they take the, the path of, we'll build our own team. We won't buy any more success. We will build our success. And if you take a look around the league, you could put together a pretty good team of former and current Chelsea players who came through that academy. Now, you'd be stuck for a goalkeeper. That would be an issue. They haven't produced a goalkeeper who you'd rely on at the Premier League level. But if we take Thomas Tuchel in charge, so a back three, because even in the FA Cup against Luton, he's playing a back three. Now, he's played Reese James on the right of a back three a bunch, so we'll play him there. And you go Fikayo Tamori in the middle. And you go Mark Wehi on the left of the back three. You go Tariq Lamptey as the right wing back. And Tino Livermento can play both sides. So you play him as the left wing, wing back. In midfield, you go Conor Gallagher. And you go Declan Rice. And you play Mason Mount behind Tammy Abraham and Armando Broya. And you've still got Solanke, who's having a very good season for Bournemouth. You've got Callum Hudson-Odoi. You've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And I know I'm forgetting somebody. You've got that Harvey Vale kid who's very, very special by all accounts. You've got Tino Angerin, again, another big time talent. That's a that's 15 players. You put a goalkeeper behind James Tamore Gwehi with Lamptey and Livermento wide, Gallagher and Rice in the middle and Mount behind Abraham and Broya. And that's a top six team, in my view. I think that's a top six team in the Premier League. And all you'd have to buy is a goalkeeper. You'd have to buy some depth in defence, but you've got all your attacking depth in Solanke, Cho, uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, uh, Vale and Angerin, plus Loftus-Cheek as depth in midfield. So you'd need defensive depth, and I'm sure they've got some. Um, there's others I've forgotten, but... That's a hell of a team. That's very, very impressive. 
And maybe new ownership would take that approach and say, why don't we build our own team? Why can't we do this over a few years? Because you look at that team, Tammy's, what, 24? Mount is 22, Rice is 22, Gallagher's 21, Livermento's 19, Lamptey's 21, 22, James, Tamori, and Gwehi are all in that sort of 21 to 24 sort of range. Uh, Broy is 20. Solanke's a little bit older. Obviously, I think he's the same age as, as Tammy. Hudson Odoi, I think, is 22. Loftus Cheek is the oldest. He's about 25, 26. You've also got, uh, I've, I've completely forgotten, the two Chalabas. So you've got uh, Trevo and uh, Nat Chalaba. They can both play. They're both solid. Chalaba would be a fine backup for Rice. The other Chalaba could be your fourth centre-back. You know, you start to to put together a seriously good team. You really do. And imagine how incredible it would be for an English club to go and win a cup with a team like that, that you've grown in-house, that is all of your own doing, that you don't have to say, oh, you know, put up with any of the nonsense of, oh, well, you bought your success and you did this and you did that. Here's some other, <clears throat> Billy Gilmore. I completely forgot Billy Gilmore. So Billy Gilmore would be another one. Uh, Ola Aina, he came through their academy. So you take him. Quality backup fullback. Jamal Musiala came through the academy. Now he left and went to Bayern, but would he have done that if he could see that the plan was to build a first eleven? Of just their academy players? I don't think he would. So he could be there. I completely forgot about Andreas Christensen. But they did buy him at, what, 16? But still, he was in their academy for multiple years. So you'd count him. Bertrand Traore was in their academy. Thomas Callas was in their academy. Obviously, a long time ago, you had Terry and Ryan Bertrand and that. But you start to look at the names that have come through their academy. It's really impressive. Neil Etheridge, who's a solid keeper, currently playing for Birmingham. He came through their academy. He could be your backup keeper. He's played at the Premier League level. At worst, he's your third keeper, but he's good enough to play at the Premier League level on an interim basis. That's a hell of a lot of talent that has come through that academy. And there's an awful lot more to come. That under-23 squad is absolutely packed full of talent. Their under-18s is the same. Loaded with talent. Neil Bath, Andy Mayers and John Harley have done an incredible job. And credit to them. Credit to them. That, that academy, it is the best in, in the country. It may well be the best in Europe. It may well be. And it's not just a new thing. Chelsea have always done this. Ron Harris, Ray Wilkins, Peter Osgood, Terry Venables, Jimmy Greaves, Graham Lasso, John Terry. Chelsea have always had a strong academy, but in recent years it's become the best in the world. 
I'll leave it there. I'll take a break. When we come back, we will have listeners' questions and the gossip, and we'll be done. I'll see you soon. Right, welcome back. So, before I go on to listeners' questions, we do, of course, have one game tonight in the FA Cup. I got a bit sidetracked looking at the Chelsea Academy. But we have Everton at home to Boreham Wood in the FA Cup fifth round. Everton beat Hull City 3-2 after extra time to get through the third round. They fell behind. Uh, to a first-minute goal by Smith. Then Damari Gray and Andre Gomes put them ahead. Uh, Longman equalised on 71, but an Andros Townsend goal on 99 in extra time put them through. Then they walloped Brentford. Uh, Yerry Mina, Richarlison, Holgate and Townsend with the goals. Ivan Tony with a consolation penalty for the Bees. And now they will face Boreham Wood. And Boreham Wood are... The rank outsiders, obviously, the lowest ranked team still in the competition. This will be their sixth game in the FA Cup. They started their FA Cup journey all the way back in October. They beat Barnet in a qualifier. Then they beat Eastleigh in the first round, 2-0. They beat St. Albans, 4-0 in the second round. They beat Wimbledon, 2-0 in the third round. That is AFC Wimbledon, not MK Dons. And then they beat Bournemouth and Scotty Twocoats in the biggest shock of the fourth round to earn this tie with Everton. And congrats to them. It doesn't really matter what happens tonight. They're a big winner of this year's FA Cup and credit to them. Everton, you would expect to win the game fairly comfortably, but you just never know. With the FA Cup, with Everton, you just never really know what's going to happen. Right. Other news before we move on, there are rumours, rumours and nothing more as I speak, that the European Super League is back on the table, that it is becoming a possibility again. Uh, I am choosing to ignore these rumours because I just can't be bothered. I just can't be bothered with it at the moment. If something comes of it, I'll talk about it. If it doesn't, I can't be bothered getting into it too much. Uh, right, listeners' questions. So, AMK2889. Say Liverpool do go on and win all the trophies offered to them, or at least the League Cup and or League title or the Champions League, would that put Mane in the running for Ballon d'Or? Um, no, but it could put Salah in the running. I don't think Mane will get enough push. Mane's having a very good season. And his numbers are very good in terms of goals. His underlying numbers are good. But when you watch him play, he's clearly not the player he was. He's not having the same sort of influence on the game. But he is impacting games. Whereas Salah is influencing and impacting games. So I would say, win the League Cup and the Premier League. And Salah could be in that Ballon d'Or conversation. If Liverpool go deep in the Champions League as well. Or win the League Cup and the Champions League and push City to the brink in the league. Yeah, I think Salah will very much be in the running. I know Mane won the AFCON and I know that should be a big factor, but I just don't think it will be. Remember as well, Salah did get to that final and dragged that poor Egypt team 
to that final. Mane was playing in a good Senegal team. Salah was not playing in a good Egypt team. Uh, Roshan or 27. In a penalty shootout, if managers had to take the pen the 12th penalty, this was a great thing they got the other day. The idea that if it got past the goalkeepers, the managers should have to step step up next. How would you rank today's managers for their penalty taking abilities? All right, in the Premier League we're talking about here. So um I think Guardiola would probably be very high on the list. You'd have Guardiola, you'd have Lampard, and you'd have Gerard as the three best players who are now managers. Antonio Conte, a level just below them. Uh, so you'd fancy all, and Arteta then a level below Conte. You'd fancy all five of them to score. Thomas Tuchel didn't have much of a pro career. So I don't know, but you'd imagine he's got fairly good technique. Ranić's quite old, and again, not a whole lot of a playing career to shout about. Moyes would be pretty good. Moyes would be cold, so I think he'd be fine. Uh, Bruno Lage would find a way to score and miss it at the same time. Hasselhüttl is thumping it into the back of the net. Graham Potter is probably putting it in the corner, but with not enough power to reach the goal. Uh, Brendan Rodgers is skying it over the bar after doing something arrogant beforehand. Eddie Howe, I think Eddie Howe would score. He's arrogant enough. He's just got the right amount of confidence. Uh, you wouldn't dare save Thomas Frank's penalty. Jesse Marsh, I don't know. I, I don't know whether he'd be good enough. Daishi's scoring. Daishi's taking the 20-yard run-up. Like, he's running... He's starting his run-up further away from the ball than the goal is, and he's putting his toe all the way through it. Uh, Hodgie's probably having a heart attack on the walk-up to the ball. Uh, I think Dean Smith would score. I think he'd score. And if he didn't score, he'd tap in the rebound and claim it was great banter anyway. Um, but I would say the top five, you're looking at Lampard won... Gerard two, Guardiola three, Conte four, Arteta five. They're the five I'd absolutely back to score. In that order, but they're the five. Um, Sandeep, have you seen the Darwin Nunes links? Would he suit us? I think he would. It would mean a slight change of style because he is more of a traditional number nine. He's that out and out you know, focal point in attack. But I do think he would suit us. I think he's quite unselfish. He works the channels well. He drops deep well. He can carry the ball. He's not afraid to drop wide and take a man on. So you could get him interchanging with Diaz from the left and, and Salah from the right. I think I think Darwin Nunes would very much suit Liverpool. I, I am a big fan. And I do think if Liverpool were looking for a number nine, he's the one to go for. Over the likes of Isak or any of those, I think he is the one worth going for. Having himself a quality season this year, 23 and 29, 18 and 19 in the league, and also uh, an exceptionally good penalty taker as well. So, yeah, I'll I'll take Darwin Nunes every day of the week without question. Um, 
Let's see. There's a tweet from Paddy Power. Cuevin Callagher is in the unusual position of being Ireland's best goalkeeper and best striker at the same time. And Lubo says this is factually correct. It's not. Gavin Basunu is Ireland's best goalkeeper. He just is. Uh, Kevin Clark asks, how does the Man City Academy guy get the Irish national team starts ahead of Big Kev at this point? I mean, Big Kev is playing in cup finals, whereas the starting Irish goalkeeper is playing for Ian Dark FC. Um, right, yeah. Cleveland Keller is playing in cup finals. He's not playing in league games. He's not playing every week. Gavin Basunu is playing every week. And yes, you can look at, at Portsmouth and say, oh, well, they're mid-table in League One. So, you know, what does that mean? How good can he actually be? And that's fair enough. They are. They're 10th in the league. They're currently uh, eight points off the promotion spots. But they do have two games in hand. And when you look at their defensive record, there's only the top the top two, sorry, the top three have conceded less goals. Rotherham have conceded 19, Wigan 32, MK Dons 35. Rotherham 19, by the way. I'm not sure people understand how insane that is, but that's crazy to have only conceded 19 goals in League One through 35 games. Uh, you have Sheffield Wednesday and Portsmouth then next on 37. So Basunu is playing exceptionally well for Pompey. Pompey's issue isn't conceding goals. It's not being able to score enough goals. But Gavin Basunu is playing brilliant football at the moment for Portsmouth. And Gavin Basunu is also very experienced for his age. I mean, the guy's 20. He was playing League of Ireland for Shamrock Rovers in 2018. Now, he only played six games for them, but that was as a 16-year-old. Then he went to City. Last season, he played 32 games on loan for Rochdale. This season, he's played 33 games on loan with Portsmouth. That's 71 senior games at club level on top of his 10 Irish caps. Now, compare and contrast with Cuevin Callagher, who's 23 years of age, has two Ireland caps, and at club level has only played 17 games. There is no real comparison. 19... Senior games for club and country versus 81 senior games for club and country. Basunu is more experienced, playing at a higher level in terms of playing every single week, whereas Kelleher, I don't, I don't even know if he's playing for the under-23s, but he's just playing more regularly. And it's as simple as that. Um, Kelleher is, is, a, is a good goalkeeper, don't get me wrong, but Basunu's playing every week and you've also got Mark Travers of Bournemouth, who's having a really good season. And again, he's got three caps for Ireland. He's played 74 senior, uh, senior games at club level. This season, he's been one of the better goalkeepers in the championship. And again, you look at the goals conceded. Best defence in the league, Bournemouth. 27 goals conceded. So you're going up against one of the better keepers in the championship, one of the better keepers in League One, and you're not playing regularly. You know, Travers has played 31 games this season. Basuna has played 33. Cuevin Keller has played eight. 
He's played eight games. That's why Kelleher's not number one for it. That's why he's arguably number three. Uh, Brian X, if what's going around is through Darwin Nunes or Joe Felix, I would take Joe because I love Joe. Uh, but I, Darwin would be cheaper and easier to get, I think, and he's probably a more straightforward adoption period to English football. Joe would need to get quite a bit stronger. Joe uh, has a higher ceiling, but I think Darwin has a higher floor. So the worst version of Darwin at his very, you know, at his at his in his prime years, what he'll be twenty five to twenty nine. The worst version of that, I think, is better than what the worst version of Joe Felix could be. But the best version of Joe, I think, is probably substantially better than what Darwin can be. Um, YNWA foodie question for the show: Who would you pick and why? So Hotel Anfield have announced that they're getting a mural put on the wall outside dedicated to a Liverpool player. I think I'd go Salah. It's Salah or Virgil. Trent has one. Henderson got one. Salah or Virgil are the ones that have really defined this era. They're the two pillars of this team. Now, Fabinho and Alisson go into that group as well. But... A defensive midfielder is not going to get a mural. It just isn't. Ali's the most handsome man in the world, so maybe you give it to him. Uh, but if you do, I want the slick back hair and the moustache version. Um, I would say Virgil, as the leader of the team, the one who stepped in and immediately raised the, the level at the club, the one who leads that defence, organises the defence, sets the real standard at the club, I'd say go Virgil. I, I That's, yeah, I would say go Virgil. Um, Chris Colby, which goal from the Carabao Cup? No, sorry, which non goal from the Carabao Cup gave you the most overall enjoyment? The, uh, the tacky miss in the first leg versus Arsenal that caused all sorts of false narratives, or the Matip offside goal? Um, the tacky miss. Because in the moment, I was livid about the Matip one. And I still kind of am, because it, it's not a foul. And Joel scoring at Wembley was magnificent. But the tacky miss was great, because all the Arsenal fans came crawling out of the woodwork to say that they'd, you know, that Arteta had outmanaged Klopp. And, you know, it was a great victory for them to get their nil-nil draw at Anfield, and that they were going to bring Liverpool back now to the Emirates and spank them, and then they ended up getting spanked themselves. So I'll go the tacky miss. Uh, KR99, do you think a partnership of Suarez and Torres would have been successful had Torres stayed even though he was on decline? I do. I do, because I think Torres was a good enough finisher that if you put that whirling dervish of Suarez around him and just let Suarez go, you know, full Suarez, I really do think he would have created endless opportunities for Fernando Torres to score. Now, I don't know that it would have been as good as what we did see in the end, which was that front four of Coutinho, Sterling, Suarez and Sturridge. Because to me, that as a front four 
has only been topped once in the Premier League. Now, as a front four, I'm not talking about you know teams that played a flat midfield four. So United, when they had Beckham and Giggs on the wing, and then Colin York up front, if you want to count that as a front four, that's number two. And the Suarez, Sturridge, Sterling, and Coutinho will be number three. But I would say number one is Henri, Burkamp, Perez, and Lumberg. But that Liverpool one, if it had stayed together, I think they could have gotten to that level. Now, they didn't have anything like the support behind them. Um, they had a, a, a finished Steven Gerrard, uh, an, an impetuous Jordan Henderson, and a dreadful defence. So if they'd had a real team behind them, they would have won serious honours. But unfortunately, injuries to Suarez's departure, the contract situation with, with Sterling uh, just ruined it all. Um. Isaac Gilding, which current Premier League players do you think could potentially have a statue built at their current clubs? Who do you think are some future legends? Right. Again, let's let's just start at the top of the league and work down. So for Manchester City, currently Kevin De Bruyne and long-term Phil Foden. Phil Foden is a young lad that came through, through their academy. The first one to really come through their academy establish himself and not look like he'll go off the rails like a Stephen Ireland or a Michael Johnson uh, and be part of obviously great success. I think those are the two. At Liverpool, um, I think Virgil or Salah, probably both. Um, uh, Trent obviously will be the younger, the younger player. Chelsea, Kante will be the one. And for a young player, probably Reese James. Or Mason Mount, maybe. Uh, Manchester United, uh, nobody. Nobody. The one who would have got one, maybe, could have been Greenwood. That won't happen now. Uh, Rashford has seemed to hit a bit of a wall in his development. And maybe he just has a low ceiling. Maybe he was one of those high high floor, low ceiling guys who got to the level he was going to get to at an early age was overplayed and isn't going to go any further. Uh, he could have been a contender, but there's no one else. You look up on that then that team. There's just there's nobody. Um, West Ham, uh, Declan Rice, uh, and he would be both young and you know potentially become a legend. But I don't think he'll stay there long term. Arsenal, there's nobody currently deserving of one. Uh, in terms of young players, you'd have to say Saka. And uh, Emile Smith-Rowe. Martinelli, of course, in the mix as well. But Saka and Emile Smith-Rowe would be the two. Um, Tottenham, Kane, obviously. Young player. There, there isn't one. There isn't one. Their academy players never seem to work out for them other than Kane. And even he wasn't He wasn't highly touted as an academy player. The ones who were highly touted just didn't work out. Look, Marcus Edwards was the most hyped academy player coming out of Spurs in God knows how long. And, I mean, he's doing really well in, in Portugal. He's got the move to Sporting, but he, he has. He didn't work for Spurs. Uh, Wolves, I would say Neves is the most deserving. Joined them in the championship. He's been part of everything. Young player. Ray and Nuri, but he won't stick around long enough. Or Neto, but again, he won't stick around long enough. Uh, Southampton will be Ward-Prowse. Young player. He won't stay long enough, but Livermento will be the one for me. Broya maybe, but they don't own him. Uh, Brighton, uh, Lewis Dunk, 
and young player Lamptey, but again, he won't stay long enough. Palace Zaha is the obvious one. I think he should get one if he stays till the end of his career. Young player Elise, but he won't he won't stay long enough. Leicester it has to be Vardy, it has to be Jamie Vardy, or it, it should be Jamie Vardy and Casper Schmeichel, one of the two of them. Um, youngsters, he won't stay, but Fafana has the potential to be one of the best centre backs in the world. Uh, and could be an absolute legend if he did stay, but he won't. Aston Villa, I mean, Tyron Mings, would you, it would be a bad statue. Imagine the legs wide open. 40, it, it wouldn't even be at Villa Park. It would be lobbed in a, at St. Andrews over play at, at Birmingham Stadium. Uh, so, no, there's nobody at Villa. Young player, Ramsey has the potential. Uh, I don't know if he stays, but Chukwemeka also has the potential. So, we'll see. Uh, Toon, they'll build one for Kieran Trippier if he scores another free kick <clears throat> but aside from that there's nobody uh, Brentford I don't think there's anybody Brentford's not really that type of club there's there's not enough, There's not really any sentiment at Brentford they, they're happy about their players when they move on because they normally sell them at big profit uh, Leeds, Calvin Phillips Joffy Gellhart could as a young player develop into something really special but if he does, he probably ends up getting bought and moved on. But Calvin Phillips would be the one there. Everton, there's nobody. There's absolutely nobody. Seamus Coleman probably does deserve one. But, I mean, he hasn't won anything. You know, he's been, been in the club 14 years, hasn't won anything. The only thing... So, Seamus Coleman is obviously Irish. Was bought by Everton from Sligo Rovers in 2009... For the princely sum of 60,000 great British pounds. And in the time he's been at Everton, he's won nothing. Now, he did go on loan to Blackpool for two months. And that is where he won the only medal he has to his name. He won the playoffs with Blackpool. That's it. So, uh, yeah, Coleman would be, would be the one, but he hasn't won anything. Uh, for Burnley, the statue should be of Dyche. It shouldn't be of any of the players. It should be of Dyche. Uh, young player, Dwight McNeil, but again, he won't stay long enough. Watford, they don't keep anyone long enough to build a statue. And Norwich, I mean, you could build a statue of Grant Hanley, but imagine the size of the head on the thing. It would need to be weighed down something shocking. So there's nobody at Norwich. Um, there's no one at Norwich right AMK2889 Thursday question another podcast I listen to does a segment which they call buy sell or neutral in which they are asked random questions like wearing a pair of socks multiple days in a row Ugh. buy it if you like it or do it sell it if you don't like it or don't do it neutral if you don't care or don't think about it it's similar to uh, to D was Bank It or Burn It segment he does on the Atad Predictable podcast. I'd like to do some buy, sell, or neutral with you, but football related. Um, if you like like it, give it a Jurgen Klopp fist bump. I don't like it, give it the Alex Ferguson sad face and can't be brought bothered. It's the Hodgson nil-nil draw, right? Pulling your socks up all the way. That's the players that pull the socks right up over the knee. Um, it's the Hodgson nil-nil draw for me. I don't really care either way. Um, I I don't really mind players that do it, and I think certain players do it and it looks quite cool. Certain players do it, it looks like they're trying too hard. 
Uh, wearing your socks low like Grealish, Smith, Rowe and Dybala. That, for me, is the Alex Ferguson sad face. And Trent does it as well now. And in large part, what bothers me is the shin pad. Like, why even bother? You're basically wearing a nail file. Just get rid of it altogether. You're wasting everybody's time. Uh, using ankle tape to keep socks up. Uh, it's a little bit old school. It wouldn't be a fist bump. It wouldn't be a sad face. So it's probably just an El Hodgie nil-nil. Uh, colourful boots. Colourful boots are a sad face for me. Now, I don't have anything against them. What I have something against is like when you see a, a big grok of a centre-back wearing yellow boots. Get yourself a pair of black boots, son. You're not... Or goalkeepers wearing coloured boots is another one. To wear coloured boots, you had to be a really special player back in the day. So for me, coloured boots are a sad face because they've just become too commonplace. And I love still to see the basic black on black, black on white, that kind of... I love to see that because it's just a nice throwback. Um... So, yeah, that's where we'll go with that one. Right, moving on then. We've got acrobatic gold celebrations. Always the clock fist pump for me. Love to see it. Wearing gloves but not long sleeves like Mares and Martial as well. Another one for that terrible stuff. That's a Fergie sad face. Uh, rolling or pulling shorts up higher like Rafinha or Alex Sanchez. I don't mind that at all, but it's probably a hodgy nil-nil. Uh, tucking the kit in or leaving it untucked. I don't, again, it's, I don't mind. It depends on the player. It depends on the kit as well. Some kits look better untucked. Some of them look like an abomination. The Chelsea one looks dreadful either way. So, you know, what, what are they doing? It looks like a, it looks like a picnic blanket. Um, when managers wear full suits or wear team training gear, I do like the full suit. I have to say, you know, Capello, Lippi, that generation, mainly Italian managers. Obviously, British managers didn't have the style to pull that off. You couldn't have put Jim Smith in an Armani suit, for example. So uh, I'll go full suit on that one as a Klopp fist pump. But again, Klopp wears the track suit and it works for Klopp. Do you know, it's, it's the difference between a manager and a coach. Klopp is, is a training ground coach. Capello was a manager. So I think it's it's just the difference between them. Um Slow run-ups on penalties of free kicks. Absolute hodgy sad face. Oh, no, absolutely Fergie sad face on the uh, the penalty run-up being real slow. It, that, that stuff annoys the life out of me. Straight run-ups on penalties or free kicks. Again, Fergie sad face. Get yourself an angle. Players wearing kit numbers not usually assigned to their for, uh, positions, like Fabinho playing the six but wearing three. Or Sesk wearing four. I don't mind it with midfielders wearing midfield numbers. And I, I don't really mind Fab wearing three because I think Fab would, would be an incredible centre-back. But, you know, when William Gallas wore ten, that's a Fergie sad face for me. Uh, players who wear random numbers, I, that bothers me. So that's a big Fergie sad face. I hate uh, players coming in wearing number 97. Like, get out of here. No, can't be dealing with that. Referees giving press conferences after games. The lack of them is a Fergie sad face. It would be very much a Klopp fist pump if they started doing them because they should do them. They really should do them. Uh, finally then, Alex Sapopo. Uh, create an all-time 11 with the following restrictions. 
No more than one player for nationality. No two players can have played for the same club. And the player's professional career must have taken place after you were born. Okay, so I've got to have 11 different nationalities and 11 different players, which means I'm not going to have Lionel Messi, just as a disclaimer, because Diego Maradona will be in my team. It also means I can't have Redondo, which is devastating to me, but I will make do and go on. So I'll immediately start by putting Maradona as one of my two uh, number 10s and Zinedine Zidane as my other. That rules out, I suppose, Juventus and Real Madrid. Right. So I've got... Uh, I'll take as a Dutch player Marco van Basten and I can't have Figo this is difficult actually it's more difficult than I thought it was going to be um, I will take do you know what? I'll just take Lothar Mateus in midfield alongside. Now, this is part of this man's career did take place after I was born. So Graham Souness counts. So I'm taking Souness as my Scott and as my Liverpool player. Lothar Mateus as my German. Uh, he played for Bayern and Inter so and someone else, but none of them were played for by these other players. Um I can't have Maldini or Baresi. That's difficult. That's difficult. Um, let me think. This is actually much more difficult than I thought it was going to be. So I've got German, Scottish, Argentine, French, and Dutch. So I can put Roy Keane in here. I can have three in midfield with Keane. Oh, do you know what I'll do? I'll put Keane and, and Souness as my midfield too. I'll drop Matthias back into the sweeper role he played later in his career. I haven't used a Brazilian yet. I haven't used a Spaniard yet. So I'm going to go... Maradona played for Barcelona, so I can't have Puyol. Can't have Fernando Hierro, so I can't really have a Spanish centre-back. Because none of the rest of them are worth anything. Um, I will take... I'll take Aldair as one of my centre-backs. And I'll take Tony Adams as my other. Uh, my left wing back is going to be... Hmm. I mean, am I going to have to pick Cesar Aspi Laqueta? Is that the Spaniard I'm going to have to pick? I'll take Aspi as the right wing back. For my left wing back, I need to go... Can't pick Dennis Irwin because I've got Roy Keane. Can't take Ashley Cole because I have Tony Adams and Aspie. Would it be easier to go with Ashley Cole as the left wing back and not pick Adams and instead 
take Fernando Couto. Wasn't great, but he'll do as a Portuguese player. So now I need a right wing back. There's obviously been more good right backs than left backs. Uh, internationally, I'll take... For my goalkeeper, I'm going to take... Um, Prudhomme, Michel Prudhomme, the keeper, the Belgian. And my right wing back, I can't have Dutch, Italian. Did I pick an Italian? I don't have an Italian. At all. So I'll go with, can't be Panucci. I'll go with. Can't be Tassati. Can't. Molly's given out to me here. Um, can't pick any of the right backs I would normally pick. I'll go Paolo. No, he can't pick him. He played for Lazio with Kuto. Um, hang on. One second, man. I'm, just, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna consult Google on this because I am stumped for an Italian right back. I can have an Italian. Yes, I can have an Italian. So, um. Let me see. Favelli played for Lazio. Panucci was there. You can't have him. Can't have Tassotti. Can't have him. Can't have Zambrotta because I have a Juve player. Can't have Gentile. He was before my time. Can't have Giuseppe Bergamy because Mateus played for um played for Inter. Can't go Cannavaro because he wasn't a fullback. Uh would have loved to have a Nesta, but can't can't have any of these. That's fine. Um Oh god. And an Italian right back. How am I getting stumped by the lack of Italian right backs? Can't have Di Lorenzo because I have Maradona who played for Napoli. I think I'm going to have to play an Italian midfielder out of position. Um, the one I would have gone for is Pellegrini, but I've got Aldair who played for the same club. Do you know what? I, 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 it's the most bizarre position for him and he's left-footed and he's a winger, but I'm going to play Berardi just because I have to get this done somehow. And that will do me. That will do me for that. Uh, so it's not a great team, but Prudhomme, Matthias behind Aldair and Couto, Berardi and Cole as wingbacks. It's great in midfield with Keane and Souness, and then Maradona, Zidane and Van Basten. Those wingbacks have let me down, and I'd need to think about them a bit more. But uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. We'll take it. We will take it. And we'll move forward. And what we'll do now is we'll finish up with the gossip. Uh, Real Madrid manager Carlo Ancelotti has emerged as a surprise candidate to become the next Manchester United boss. I assume that would be if Pochettino did go to Real. But it'd be strange if Real moved off Carlo. He's done a great job this year. Uh, Ajax boss Eric Ten Hag, who's been linked to Manchester United, is having English lessons. So I saw this story yesterday on Twitter. Uh, can't. Can't be bothered naming the journalist. He's not very reliable. But 
Eric Ten Hag speaks fluent English, so he's not having English lessons. When this was pointed out, he said, despite having a good grasp of the language, he's uh, he's upping the level. Some nonsense. He's not having English lessons. Garbage. Uh, Colombia and former Everton for a midfielder, James Rodriguez, has put the toffees on alert. Why? He was awful there. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain are set to offer Kylian Mbappe a new deal worth £799,000 a week. I assume that's a million euro a week. Um, Bayern Munich and Tottenham. Bayern Munich, Tottenham and Arsenal are all interested in Jed Spence. I really want him at Liverpool, please, and thank you. However, Tottenham and Arsenal, along with Liverpool, are considering a bid for Wilfred Singo of Torino, who could be available for £15 million. Uh, Wilfred Singo is really good, uh, but I don't think Liverpool will sign him because they kind of need a homegrown player in that uh, that slot, a backup right back. So I assume it'll be Spence or Bogle or Frimpong or Isaiah Jones or somebody along those lines. Uh, Real Madrid have decided to sell Danny Carvajal with Diogo Delot and Max Harrens. At least make up things that are believable. Real Madrid aren't signing Diogo Delot. Uh, Barcelona are hoping to convince Andreas Christensen and Cesar Azpilicueta to join them on free transfers at the end of the season. Makes sense. They can't really afford to buy anybody. Uh, Barca are close to securing deals to extend Ronald Arejo and Gavi, which makes all the sense in the world. Brian Hill says he struggled with the physicality of the Premier League. That was clear as day. Uh, Steve... Cooper says Wales attacking midfielder Brennan Johnson won't be distracted by contract talks or growing Premier League interest. To the kids' credit, all the hype in January about potential move, and he's been on fire ever since. Irish UFC star Conor McGregor has indicated he's interested in buying in buying Chelsea. Conor McGregor's net worth is about 150, 160 million. Chelsea are going for about four million. You'd need about 24. 25 Conor McGregor's to buy Chelsea. Imagine 25 twats. Uh, West Ham and Celtic are interested in signing Bristol City's 22-year-old English striker Antoine Semenyo, who would cost about 15 million. Celtic aren't signing anybody for 15 million. Let me just break that news to you. If he was 5 million, you might have a chance, but not at that kind of price. But he's he's a talented player. And that is it, folks. That's where I will leave you for today. Thank you and goodbye. See you tomorrow. Podcast Network.